Welcome, screensavers. I'm Michael Gallat. I'm Matt Sturdivant. I'm Tyler Sitkus. Together, we host the Silver Screensavers podcast. In this episode, we're going to dive into the first movie Marvel project of the year, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. We're going to discuss some other things first. So as always, if you want to skip right to that conversation, there are timestamps in the episode description. We're also going to talk about the career of Sam Raimi, the director. But first, it's our weekly watch list. Matt, have you been watching anything cool this week? I've been catching up on a lot of Sam Raimi stuff that I either haven't seen or I haven't seen in quite a while. I brushed up on the Evil Dead series, I watched Darkman, and I watched Drag Me to Hell. And I'm sure we'll get into those later, so I'm going to save my thoughts for a little bit later on those. The only other thing I really watched is I finished up Moon Knight, the Disney Plus Marvel show. And um, I have to be honest, it didn't quite hook me. I really appreciate what it did as far as bringing diversity to its cast of superheroes and... um, I thought, I mean, the narrative was pretty serviceable. Like, it wasn't bad. I, It just didn't really hook me until, like, the fourth or fifth episode. And by then, like, it, the show was kind of half over. And then the finale kind of lost me a little bit. But all, all things considered, Oscar Isaac, Ethan Hawke, um, the actress that played... Oh, shoot, I forgot her name. So my apologies for forgetting her name. The actress that played, like, the love interest slash uh, the avatar for... To Warrant, she was uh, she was great. Um, all the pieces were there. I just I don't know if just the narrative didn't quite catch me or not. It was like by the time it started to get good, it was almost over. Um, I am still interested to see because it left on a bit of a cliffhanger. I'm interested to see where it goes, nonetheless. But um, but that was really about it. Besides the same Raimi stuff. All right, Tyler. All right, I'm going to be boring. I watched a bunch of Sam Raimi stuff, which we're going to be talking about later. But I just want to bring up one right now. And I just want to say this is a movie I enjoyed as a child and I saw for the first time as an adult. And that's The Quick and the Dead. And it is awful. Awful movie. Oh, so, so, yeah. I'll save my thoughts because I... uh, I'll save. I'll save. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, I watched one new movie this past week. And it was an incredible one. Can you guys guess what it is? It wasn't Raimi, right? It was not. It was a new movie that wasn't a new this, movie. That wasn't multiverse. It was a multiverse, and it wasn't everything everywhere. Or I'll just tell you ass. what it is. It was Sonic the Hedgehog two, baby. Oh my god! Wow. It was. I was so thoroughly impressed with this movie i had such a good time watching it for what this movie is supposed to be which is a silly piece of family entertainment it's great it's that and i'm like i'm serious it is one of the big entertainments of the year so far there's a totally successful family adventure it's funny it's energetic there are some cool things for sonic fans particularly towards the end of the movie my only criticism this is way too long for a kid's movie like way too long they definitely make knuckles into a different character than he is in the games a bit um, but that was okay there is also so i'm in here and it's i'm with my family and you know there's other parents with little kids there and then 15 minutes into the movie a lone elderly man came in he was late and he just stayed the whole time 
And I, I just always want to know that guy's story. Why did you come into Sonic 2 15 minutes late and then just seem to have the time of your life? Hey, you know, at least uh, at least it wasn't a, a lady with a newborn infant walking into a showing of ambulance. But that would have been appropriate for Sonic the Hedgehog 2, not for ambulance. So I considered that this guy was some sort of, he had to see it for some reason. But one, if that was so, you're not going to be 15 minutes late. And two, I thought to myself, is this me at like Sonic 67? I'm going in by myself. I'm like, oh, I saw the 66 before. I got to see 67. They're bringing in cream in this one. I got to see the chows. I, old people are pretty impressionable with what they will end up seeing because when Tyler and I saw everything everywhere all at once, there was this old man who was just completely lost. And he's like, oh, is this the everything was... everywhere movie? And we're like, oh, yeah. He says, oh, you know, a, fr- a friend, my friend said I should go see this movie. And it's it was like an early screening. So, like, I don't know how, how he stumbled upon this, but... <laughs> Who knows? It's, I, I don't it's know. a mystery I'm, that'll be unsolved. Tyler and I, we said, went to see Jockey, which zero <laughs> people saw. I'm not trying to insult the film. Uh, didn't make any money. And one lone guy in the back of the... This, this is a two-foot-by-two-foot two room that we saw this in. in Amherst <laughs> Cinema. a tiny room. And one guy just had to come back, spill, spill his popcorn in the middle of Jockey and had to get up like twice. What do you and people he also doing? came in late too. Like it's no yeah, one. What, what, I don't, what is going on in the world? I don't get it. Everyone's just making sure Pee Wee Herman's not in the theater. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's like an air marshal. It's a movie theater marshal to make sure there's <laughs> there's no funny business going on. Uh, well, so we are going to move on to a brief bit of movie news, which is really just a trailer, but it is a trailer for a movie that we've been waiting for for 13 years yes i have not been waiting for this movie (laughs) well maybe you guys have guessed already but we're talking about avatar 2 the way of water uh what'd you guys think of this trailer they did not lie about water there's a lot of water (laughs) yeah it's because it's that special water camera they got they wanted to get the most out of it yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm excited for it. You don't bet against Cameron. It's I I have to say, and I'm gonna blame this more on my like stupid, ignorant, idiot eyeball than I am. But I don't know if I noticed the advancement that much. Maybe when I go to see the movie, but in the trailer, I was like, okay. Also, there's not no no clear narrative here, but all right. Remember when Sam Worthington was, like, prepped to become the biggest, like, star in the world? Yeah, well, I also think, I believe, I don't, mm, take this with a grain of salt, I believe Matt Damon turned down, um, turned down Avatar, and he could have taken points, which would have made him uh, tens of millions of dollars. I'm not sure if I'm getting that 100% right, but I believe that to be the case, so, very interesting. (laughs) I don't know if it was just the 3D showing that we were in, but I I like I it, the visuals were almost a little bit disorienting in this trailer, like it was almost too good, like the frame rate was just like 
Like, I, I don't get motion sickness from stuff, but, like, it just, something was off-putting about it. I don't know. Oh, so th- you're making the Gemini Man argument. <laughs> <laughs> I like how many times we call out the Gemini Man on this. <laughs> it's so bad. It's like, Why is like coffee made at 3 out. in the morning? But I just, I just, that's why I hate about 3D in movies. I think it's the biggest gimmick, and it just dis- distracts me so much until I forget it's there. So I, I don't get any benefit from it. I, I, halfway through the movie, I forget it's there. But when it's showing me like a landscape with something in front, oh, it's driving me nuts. I can't even tell what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's when I, when we were kids, it was the biggest thing in the world. And now it's just like, it, it was almost an inconvenience when we found out it was 3D. Yeah, it was the only showing I could find for opening night that was still like relatively. No, good. it wasn't a problem, but it was like, oh, I gotta wear I these mean, glasses. It, it, it's at this point, it's just drumming up a few extra bucks per ticket to convert these movies that aren't even filmed in three D. I was I was just gonna say there was a scene specifically in this movie that I'll mention later that the three D really messed with me, like it made it much worse than it it should have been. <laughs> It was when Cumberbatch was nude washing in the lake, wasn't it? <laughs> That's exactly right, yes. <laughs> you got that 100%. Are right, you guys ready to talk about Sam Raimi? Uh, good. So this is a, a filmmaker with a very distinctive visual style, kinetic. His, his camera makes itself known. He's been going all the way back since the late 70s. Matt, what do you think of Sam Raimi? When I think of Sam Raimi, I think of sort of campy humor, um, grotesque visuals, often low budget, especially in his earlier work. Uh, but it's still genuinely terrifying when he wants to be. He's also got, I noticed a trend in watching several of his movies back to back, that he has a, he likes to do the fake out endings. You know, he thinks, you th- just when you think everyone's safe or everyone does like this is it, some other twist will come up which um, when we break down these movies individually i'm sure we'll go over them um obviously his connection to bruce campbell get a bruce campbell cameo in almost every movie except i didn't catch it in drag me to hell i don't think he had one in drag me to hell um i don't think he did either he doesn't have one in a simple plan either tyler why don't you give us your thoughts on Raimi? then we can get specifically into the movies so Sam Raimi was a director I used to like, and then I saw The Quick and the Dead as an adult, and some crimes cannot be forgiven. <laughs> no, I, I, I feel like most of what I was going to say was already said anyway, but it just... All right. Um, the Spider-Man movie was just... The Spider-Man trilogy was a huge part of my childhood, really started the whole modern-day comic book blockbuster, so, I mean, it's kind of cool to see. I mean... Not that I like where it's essentially gone from here, but it's kind of cool to see he started all that. Yeah, he. I always find that his films are most often very well plotted. Uh, he knows how to keep things movie moving. He keeps things exciting. He can do quite a lot with a limited amount of resources. Impressive there, and the limited resources seem to have helped in some instances. Um, and we'll talk about that. He also just happens to have made the best superhero movies. Of all time, I don't think we've ever gotten any that are better up to this point. And I realize it's only been about a decade and a half. Actually, two decades. It's the 20th anniversary of Spider-Man, isn't it? But you, you, I don't think it's been passed. You, you, you forgot that we got the best superhero movie of all time this year already. 
Do you mean No Way Home or Multiverse no, of Madness? No, I meant I meant Morbius. Uh, oh, <laughs> a movie so good it's too good for the Nobel Prize. <laughs> Ridiculous. Um, so Sam Raimi's first technical feature film was a movie, a Super Eight movie called It's Murder that I believe he also did with Bruce Campbell. This was in 1977. I tried to find it. I don't think it's widely available. Um, so he really came onto the scene in 1981 with The Evil Dead. This is a movie, you know, it's a basic kids in a cabin, they unlock some demons, they start to get killed. This movie is obscenely disgusting, but like not not in a bad way, in a good way. You know, it's just five college students in a cabin. It's just, it's filthy all the way to the very end. The practical effects make it even more so. That's what I was talking about with the limited resources, but it's super fun. It's super quick, uh, you know, despite that one scene not aging well. It's an early success for Raimi and Campbell and very influential on the horror genre. I just, uh, just want to make a quick thing on that here. I, if, if you've never seen, if you're listening and you've never seen any of the Evil Deads, watch the first Evil Dead and then watch the third Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, and just be, just, just, just guess where, where it went from there. Yeah. Yeah, very... Uh, it's odd that it's a, a series that has crossed genres in each film. Absolutely. Uh, this also started, uh, not just started, but was in the early days of collaboration with the Coen brothers, and this continues throughout their careers. Wrote together, edited together, and that will play in uh, later. But what do you guys think of Evil Dead? I thought the Evil Dead, it's just a wild ride. Um, to go from the first one to like the sort of soft reboot of the second one to Army of Darkness, it's just... It's a trip. It's some of my favorite type of horror of the whole, like the entire genre. Yeah, this thing only ramps up as it like nears the end, and just like your eyes keep getting closed more and more because you're like, I don't think I can look at this, but I don't want to look away. The the I don't want to spoil it, but the ending scene is like literally as it goes on, you're just like, ah, oh, ah. Oh. <laughs> like yeah. It's just recoiling more and more and more as it goes on. And I found myself try when I was watching this this last time, I was trying to guess like what food they had used for certain effects. I'm like, is that cream corn? Is that mashed potatoes? Like what <laughs> is that? <laughs> oh my god, it's gross. His next film in 1985 is called Crime Wave. I'm going to assume, I don't want to assume. Have any of you guys seen Crime Wave? No, like everyone else in the world, I have not. (laughs) So, fun fact, I have seen this. Uh, (laughs) This movie is not very good. It's basically about some people on a city block who run into these two crazy hitmen. Raimi wrote this with the Coen brothers. Apparently, for everyone involved, this was one of the worst professional experiences of their lives. There were conflicts with the studio, editing privileges... And it shows in the final product. I don't want to be too hard on it because there are some good aspects of it. But watching this, it's like watching a mixture of Animaniacs and the Three Stooges. It's so slapstick. There are even like canned noise effects when people get hit. 
<laughs> it's not without its merits, and I believe Raimi stated that he used some of the techniques that he uh, used in this later in the Spider-Man movies. There are a few impressive creative touches, some production design that's really cool, but like this thing is a total mess, and some of the acting is not not fantastic. This made, you know, they they basically canned it. This made like $5,000 at the box office. (laughs) And it led directly to the conception of Evil Dead 2 in 1987, which is like kind of a sequel, but also just kind of a rehash of the original movie with some continuation and some changes to the original story. You guys like Evil Dead 2? Yeah, 100%. Um, it, it's my favorite of the three. What makes it your favorite? I don't know. I think it's really when like the campy horror, like the campy humor, blended with the horror, really start of the that like the series is kind of known for. That's when it really starts to take its form. Yeah, that's true. You know, the part in this movie when the headless corpse gets up out of the grave and starts dancing around. You know how, like, by today's standard, it, like, looks really bad, quote-unquote? But I, like, I find that stuff so much creepier a lot of the time than, like, the realistic (laughs) effects that we get today. So, like, I wish that movies now would have the permission to, like, be, to, like, look antiquated like that. I think it would be a lot creepier than a lot of the stuff we get now. It, It also adds to the charm of it, I think. Like you know, it's it's it adds to how slapstick and goofy it is. Like yeah. when you have this really bad headless body dancing around. I, I have one. I have one example of exactly what you're talking about there, Mike, and it's called Psycho Gorman. Oh, that's right. You told us about that. Yeah, I still have to check that out. Um, but Evil Dead Two is this is where the one-liners come in. This is the the transition to campy horror or we as we call it now horror comedy i personally like one the best just because i think it's um you know it just kind of it started all the effects it started the atmosphere of the whole thing but two two is very good it's a very fun reinvention after that we have in 1990 dark man which is a fantastic movie a movie i don't think enough people have seen this is Raimi's first effort at kind of superheroes dark man's not exactly a superhero but it's superhero-esque and it foreshadows good things to come this is about liam neeson he's a scientist who is attacked and disfigured who then becomes dark man and must assume other people's identities but only for a limited time this thing is well plotted well acted it's like phantom of the opera it's like beauty of the beast but also there are incredible action scenes can I just say, which I did, I do really enjoy this movie, so I'm not, this isn't a knock against it, but if this movie was called anything other than Dark Man, would it be considered a superhero a superhero movie? No, I, and I don't <laughs> think not, it is. anyway, it's just a revenge thriller. <laughs> but with a man who's disfigured, which is the origin of every superhero that's ever happened. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> I, I agree, this is a very underrated gem of a film. It's, it's definitely like an homage to... Universal monster flakes and noir film, but with like that grotesque Raimi flair to it, especially when you see him like out of his bandages. Um, yeah, I thought early Liam Neeson and Francis McDormand were both on point. Although personally, watching this movie after just coming off of a big Nick Cage high, I feel like 
if anyone was going to replace Liam Neeson in this movie, it should have been Nick Cage. Because there are some solid, like, freak-out scenes in this movie that would have benefited from some Nick Cage overacting. And yeah, the story was a bit derivative of other you did this to me, now I'm out for revenge to take you all out stories. It was fine. I was okay with it. I liked it. Uh, Francis McDormand and Larry Drake is very good in this too. That's a good, I recommend Darkman to anybody. After that in 92 we get Army of Darkness. By this point you kind of know what you're getting. Ash is now in medieval times fighting a demon army of skeletons. Very like Jason and the Argonauts. Again, it's pretty fun. It's I don't think it's fantastic. However, when I was watching this, I realized that, again, I want more movies where goofy skeletons are running around taunting soldiers before they fight them. That's what I want. So here's a fun fact about this movie that's not fun. Is the studio nixed the title Medieval Dead, which would have been an insanely good title. <laughs> well, it's... That makes total sense. Like, why? I always wonder, why is it called Army of Darkness? It doesn't fit with the titles of the rest of the series well, at all. The series, the, the, the movie itself doesn't fit with the rest of the series. <laughs> no, so but if you want people just... to see it, then, like, you gotta have the title. I don't know. It would be like if Spider-Man 3 was all of a sudden called, like, Rise of Goblin Jr., but you didn't have <laughs> Spider-Man in the title at all. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, so, these first six films, or I should say seven if we count its murder, uh, all steep somewhere in the sort of either crime or mostly horror genre. After this, for the next few years, really the rest of his 20th century, the rest of the 90s, he's making, he's kind of dipping into a bunch of different genres. And we start in 95 with the Western, The Quick and the Dead, which Tyler, <laughs> Tyler, go ahead. This is the most over-the-top, terrible Western. Like, I get it's supposed to be kind of spoofing, kind of homage to, like, the spaghetti Westerns kind of thing, but it is so dumb. The, the performances are fine. I'll give them that. They're good. They're all right. But, like, literally, the climax of this movie, the town explodes. It's so dumb and so over-the-top, and I hate it so much. I didn't think it was over-the-top enough. This is a there, Western. Oh, go so, ahead. There's a scene at the end. I'm going to spoil this movie because don't watch this movie. <laughs> don't waste your time. But there's a scene where Gene Hackman's character is about to kill Russell Crowe's character. And the town, a building explodes and he gets knocked down. He pulls his gun up while he's on the ground, aims. Another building explodes, pushing him back into the ground. He does it a third time and another building explodes. And I, I'm like, come on, Sam. Yeah. This has been done. <laughs> someone, someone wasn't lightning with the blam blams there, huh? Oh, stop. Stop. Uh, no, they weren't, though. So this is... The the narrative is very loose in this film. It's about a western town that there's a sharpshooting contest every year. Various characters stroll into town. They have issues with each other. They shoot people. And despite it's like stellar cast, and this happened a couple of times with Raimi, he's got Sharon Stone, Russell Crowe, a young DiCaprio, Gene Hackman, Keith David. The movie's pretty dull. Uh, the story isn't very compelling. It's got some cool visual tricks, but that's about it. I I agree. I wouldn't recommend spending any time on it unless you're really into westerns or you really like watching Russell Crowe get the crap kicked out of him for half of the movie. He gets beaten up so many times. It's a it's ridiculous. There is one cool scene which I'll give him props for because I'm a gun guy. 
and it's the scene where Leonardo DiCaprio's dueling, I think, a Swedish gunslinger or something, and he's loading a Lamat revolver, and they show that in cool detail. That's cool. Other than that, <laughs> there's, there's our gun expert, Tyler's Gun Corner. Uh, next, in 98, is A Simple Plan, and this movie is outstanding. Really, really good. It's about three men in rural Minnesota who discover a fallen plane in the snowy wilderness that has $4 million of cash inside. The rest of the movie is nonstop twist turns, complications as a result of the numerous mistakes they make, the choices they make. It's such a great what-would-you-do movie. It's a great movie to watch in a group. This might be the best that Billy Bob Thornton has ever been. He's phenomenal in this. He was nominated for uh, Oscar for Best Supporting Actor that year. And was also nominated for Best Adapted Screenplay for Scott B. Smith. Bill Paxton is awesome. Bridget Fonda, Brent Briscoe is fantastic in this. In tune with the frequent collaboration with the Coens, this is the perfect companion piece to Fargo. It is a snow-filled crime tale about how things never go exactly as you plan them. Outside of Spider-Man's 1 and 2, I, this is the best dramatic work that Raimi has ever done. Have you guys seen this one? I tried to watch this and ended up accidentally watching a live Simple Plan concert. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm oh, 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 okay. You were very convincing. I was like, What? <laughs> There, well, there goes my uh, simple plan joke I was going to make. Yeah. <laughs> At least it's not a simple fit, right? In 1999, we get For Love of the Game. This is about a retiring pitcher who's throwing his last game. As he's on the mound, you get flashbacks of his five-year romance with a single mother. This movie is really bad. Like, my word. It's good. Good. The script is all surface low. It's like really saccharine. And I, as somebody who loved the movie Marry Me and currently loves it, this movie is way, way too sappy. The music floods every scene. They're like these big orchestral swells whenever people are talking, and it's never needed. Kevin Costner and Kelly Preston are trying in this but they're not good in this at all it's a good structure there's some okay baseball stuff they just did not get there at all um i i just want to say that's the worst critique like the harshest critique of an actor i've ever heard like what? i'd rather be told i'm i was bad than like they're trying <laughs> they, they try well frankly i just said that to be generous i, I i'm sorry they're not good it's it's a it's good that Costner had ninety seven other baseball movies that he can he can lay his cap on because this isn't it it's a, it's a big departure from what Raimi normally did uh, apparently he chose to do it because he's a big baseball fan he liked the script he wanted to do something different which I applaud I'm glad he tried it but this is just like a no no thank you and this is all ninety nine. Also one of the best movie years ever. So good for 99 for staying that way, despite despite some this movie and some other movies by great directors that weren't so great that year. Uh, the Gift in 2000, Breaking into the New Millennium. This is like a southern gothic mystery about Cate Blanchett. She's a psychic. She has to solve uh, this murder amongst her community. This also has a superstar cast. Giovanni Ribisi, excellent in this movie. Hillary Swank's good. Quick side, where do you guys stand on Hillary Swank? 
I, I feel like I that's the most indifferent human being, like famous person to me. Like I just find she's had good performances, but like I don't care. I'm not going. I'm not rushing out to the theater for Hillary Swank. I feel like I feel like we had the same reaction when you asked our feelings on Miles Teller several episodes ago. No, because my my reaction would be Miles Teller is awful. I hate Miles Teller. <laughs> Well, stay tuned for our Top Gun Maverick pod, which let's let's I'll just warn you people now that that pod, that episode is about Tom Cruise. It's not going to be much about Maverick. I'm sorry. It's going to be about Tom Cruise. Uh, Katie Holmes in this. This this movie, The Gift, might be one of Keanu Reeves' best roles, not one of his most iconic roles, but like one of his best genuine acting performances. It's a really good mystery. Kate Blanchett anchors the whole thing, as she often does. Uh, that's excellent. And then after that, we get to 2002, and Matt Tyler and I are not gonna say too much about the Spider-Man movies because we have a whole entire episode where we talk about every live-action Spider-Man movie. You can find that right in our stream. But obviously, these movies are monumental. They're the first two are two of my favorite movies of all time. Well, after that, so that was 2004, 2000, or excuse me, starts in 2002, then 04, then 07 is three. Then it's only two years later. So this is Raimi after he's made such a, an incredibly colossal amount of money with the Spider-Man films that now he's making Drag Me to Hell in 2009. I think it's a really enjoyable return to form to have a, a loan officer played wonderfully by Allison Lohman who wrongs an old woman who puts a curse on her. It's gross, it's silly, but if you're a Raimi fan, I think you're going to like this one. Would you guys agree? Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it checks all the Raimi boxes. It's got the, the, the gross, grotesque scenes. It's got the campiness, like the, just the silly premise of it. Um, the fake out ending, which I think, I gotta say, it kind of, it didn't have the same feel because I knew what the ending was before I went into it. Yeah, I, and this is PG-13 too, so I'm like impressed that, you know, he, he was able to make me go, like so many times with that stuff. I feel like a lot nowadays we we get such like a clamoring to like make things oh i want that more adult i want the adult version of this but like you don't always have to do that if you are smart about your choices um and i think this is a great example of that then in 2013 we had a hard left turn hard left turn for oz the great and powerful i'll say when i saw this i was um i was not a kid it was maybe a teen I enjoyed it. Yeah. I like the visuals. I remember at the time thinking it, it this this isn't fantastic, but I'm like, okay, I like it. What do you guys think? I saw it in theaters, and I had pretty much that same reaction, Mike. Just, yeah, this is fine. Yeah. Never would have put James Franco and Zach Braff together, but go ahead, Tyler. I also saw this in theaters, and I can't tell you one thing that happened in this movie. <laughs> I literally forgotten this movie existed. Here's what I remember. I remember the little pink flying monkeys, right, with the sharp teeth. I remember the porcelain doll. I was very impressed by how the porcelain doll looked. And I remember his, like, 
Mila Kunis as the witch, mm. which I remember thinking was not very good. Even like at the even in like my pre criticism mind. Um, not that I'm a critic, but you know what I mean. And then I remember his big head, and that's it. That's Oz the Great and Powerful. I I can't I can't take Zach Braff seriously anymore. I just want to beat him up every time I see him. Oh, because you're you're yeah. green with envy. Yeah. Because <laughs> that you weren't in the cheaper by the dozen remake. <laughs> yes, that's why. <laughs> We're all jealous of that. <laughs> It's okay, Matt. We know that you're no Superman. That was a Scrubs joke. (laughs) You're our Superman. All right, we are going to take a break. And after a word from our podcast friends, we are going to dive into the first Raimi movie in nine years, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. So stick around for that. Has this ever happened to you? You're in bed, drifting off, and suddenly think... Who would win in a tug-of-war match between Superboy and Merlin? Did Marvel ever try to make a long-haul trucker into a superhero? How would it work out if I named my dog after a D-list supervillain? The answers in order are Merlin. Yes. And amazing. I'm Jessica. And I'm Mike. And we host the podcast Ten Cent Takes, a show that looks at weird, silly, and cool moments from comics and how they're woven into the larger fabric of history. Moments like the time Superman shilled for Radio Shack. When Archie got tempted by the devil. Oh, and then there was that time that DC Comics gave a superhero AIDS in an effort to be topical. It's always weird around here, but we'd like to think it's also interesting. So come with us and commit random acts of pop culture archaeology, one issue at a time. If you'd like to learn more, head over to TenCentTakes.com. All right, we are back with our review of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And joining us for the segment, we have a very special guest, Brendan Rooney. Woo woo! What's up, guys? How you doing? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. How is everyone doing tonight? Excellent. It's incredible to be here. You guys are phenomenal with your work. I listen to the podcast all the time. Well, appreciate oh, that. You. The honor really is all ours. And what we'd like you to do is please introduce yourself, say who you're right for, where people can find you, all that stuff. All right. So I'm on all the social medias. Uh, my Twitter handle is Bren versus Reviews, which uh, basically my Instagram is now as well. Uh, I originally started out as like a freelancer and stuff. I did a website called Daily Planet DC, which I'm an editor for. Uh, James Gunn has read my uh, Peacemaker articles on there. I write for Bam Smack Pow. And uh, the big one is I recently just started is um, a writer for the website The Illuminati, which uh, to note is pretty cool, is the Hollywood Reporter Variety Deadline. Uh, you can go um, kick some sand because uh, you always source us and we always break exclusives. So that's pretty cool. Nice. Awesome. Love having you here. When we knew that we knew that we were going to have to do this episode, not that we were going to have to, but, you know, when we were going to. Uh, we yeah. said we want Rooney on. He's the expert. We want him. So let's get right into this thing. We have Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It's our first Marvel movie of 2022. We're in phase four. This is directed by Sam Raimi and written by Michael Waldron. Rooney, could you tell us your general thoughts on this and would you recommend it to people? General thoughts. Uh, it's definitely an eight point. It's an eight out of ten. Eight point five. It's very Raimi. Raimi's blueprints, fingers, influence. Um, 
deodorant fragrance is all over this movie. Like, literally every ounce of this movie was Raimi. Uh, Waldron's script, um, it was a little lackluster, very weak with the pacing, the direction, a little messy at times. But one of the things about Raimi having his influence all over this film, it was very unapologetic. It didn't feel like an MCU film. We had color grading, uh, practical effects, uh, fantastic cinematography work. CGI was a little iffy at times. And um, I love how Raimi literally told Marvel, you want me to make an MCU movie? Yeah, I'm not doing that. I'm going to make a classic Marvel movie. And I'm also going to evoke and build uh, the characters of Scarlet Witch and uh, Doctor Strange. Give them character development. And oh uh, yeah, also show you the MCU has weight and consequences now. What he did with the snap in the aftermath, chef's kiss. I could talk about this film all day long, but I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Uh, excellent. I will. Let me just say this, is that... Thank God you're on the episode, because if it were just the three of us, I would say I would have rather just had a microphone in the car after the three of us saw this movie. That was the real review. Uh, but he, but here, yeah. thankfully we have we have you, and you're much better. But Matt, what did you think of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? I have to say my my feelings and my thoughts on this movie have run the gamut of of like polar opposites of like feeling because i i've been struggling all weekend with this movie i can't decide if i like it or i don't or if i'm somewhere in the middle because there were things i liked as a sam raimi film it really works um i did like that they brought in america chavez even though they kind of made her into a plot object rather than a character she was very mcguffin yeah i didn't love that but i love I like the actress that played her. She was good yeah. for what she had. I like it was relatively self-contained considering the large scale of the MCU. I mean, I, I think a, a layman could go in there, you know, and relatively pick up what's going on. If you've seen WandaVision, if you've seen the other Doctor Strange, you know, it's beneficial, but it's not a requirement, I would say, to understand this movie. Like I said, I like that it had that rainy sort of horror edge to it. You know, it was it tried to do some new things. There were things that there were plenty of things I liked, but there was one sequence in particular that I vehemently did not like that kind of soured the rest of the movie. But I can't really say what it is right now without spoiling it, so I'll leave it at that. Would you recommend it? Yeah, I would still recommend it. For a fan of Sam Raimi, for a fan of Marvel movies, generally speaking, it does lay some groundwork for some new stuff that I am mostly interested in. So, yeah, I would say recommend overall. Tyler, what about you? So I think this movie worked best, which, um, in my opinion, was like the first half or so when it was pretty Raimi-led. Um and then it kind of went into the Marvel blueprint, which is where it completely lost me. And I was just like, oh, MCU movie, of course. And I'll talk more about that later in the spoilers. But I think he did have enough from Raimi that you could see it was distinct. It had his style. And I did like that. I just thought, like Rooney, you said if he brought weight into the universe. I thought the opposite coming out of this movie. Because now, oh, now God, like, really? oh, if something happens, don't worry. The multiverse, there's another one. We'll just, just go to that. <laughs> See, <laughs> we, we could replace I, I it. 
Like, I came away thinking, like, did any of this matter? <laughs> because, like, is it just going to be, like, they're going to be like, no, that's the other multiverse. It's fine. For a movie about the multiverse, I don't think they really utilized the multiverse that well. Like, of all the opportunities they could have had. I don't think they did that much with it. Um, I, I'll go into, when we go into spoilers, I'll dig deeper on this. But, like, just some of the worlds we got were just so boring. And, like, I had no desire or care to, for them. Yeah, I... For me, this is one of the craziest mixed bags in a while. On the one hand, there were a few sequences, one in particular, that I was very captivated by. The whole story of Wanda as maybe imperfect and maybe troubling as it may be was my favorite part of the whole thing. Uh, but there was still so much that I just didn't find interesting. I got quote-unquote Marvel bored. It's like a particular kind of bored that I get during Marvel movies that are just okay. Endless. I'm not trying to trash Marvel or anything like that. I'm just not the biggest fan in the world, and sometimes I drift off a little bit during the movies. Which, if, if you're a Marvel fan and you like them, I, I think that's wonderful, and I like them too, uh, just not as much. I did get Marvel bored for quite a few segments. Doctor Strange has never been my favorite character in the first place. I really don't like the first movie much at all, and this didn't do much to sway me. Sometimes there were glimpses of cool directions this movie could go in, and then they just don't go there. They just It's kind of like one and done. Overall, I, again, I don't want to trash this thing. It's not a bad movie by any means. I would recommend this to Marvel fans, even to casual Marvel fans who don't see every movie. For instance, I would recommend this to the casual Marvel fan like more than Eternals or something like that. You know, I think this is a bit more generally exciting. Um, one caveat though is that I do not recommend taking small kids to this which might be a change of pace um, from typical MCU ticket buying I understand that you know the MCU has always had some kind of like inappropriate more mature either humor or some language or stuff like that but like really nothing like this it's not only quite frightening at parts but this is by and far the the goriest Marvel movie yet. It's it's while it's certainly no adult horror movie, there are some things, a few things in particular that I was just like, ooh. Which I, I want to ask you guys that first. Did you find that appropriate? Was it off putting in any way, Matt? Well, first I just want to say if you're gonna take a small kid to a movie, you bring him to ambulance. ambulance. <laughs> yeah. I was gonna say the same. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. No, I I see what you're saying. Um, it is definitely a bit of a tonal shift compared to most other Marvel films. But as as a card carrying adult here, I didn't mind it. See, I the way I see it is, which it was shocking to me, and I don't mean it in like this whiny piss baby way of like, why was that not rated R that I keep seeing? Uh, I don't, I don't think it was over the top or anything. I just thought in a movie like the Mar like in a Marvel movie. It felt so tonally different that it was shocking to me. Like, I've seen way worse violence in movies that, like, I didn't bat an eye in. But when it was in that, like, that shocked me because I just wasn't expecting it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a problem with it itself. I guess I just question if it's the right move for the MCU. I don't think they're going to lose a ton of money over this or anything. But I do wonder if there's going to maybe be a reluctance amongst some parents to say, eh, these these are getting to be a little bit much, um, so maybe I won't take my kid. I don't know. I could be completely off and that'll never happen. But it, I'm just curious, I will say. 
How about the performances in this? We have Cumberbatch as Doctor Strange. Rooney, I'll ask you this. One, did you like his performance? And two, are you a fan of the first Doctor Strange movie? I honestly did enjoy his performance. I could feel like there was a sense of character development and effect and everything, and he really got closure and also... I'm also like a very big sim- a symbolism person. I do write like a lot of reviews. I do like very critical analysis. And um, I honestly thought he really was very, not only humbled in this, but I loved Wong asking him, are you happy? And then, you know, uh, Christine asking him, are you happy? And it was like, I mean, I touched upon it and stuff, how strange in this they really touch upon did the snap need to occur and like uh, the qualities of being like a sorcerer and also how he is very narcissistic in the beginning and how this film kind of reshredded the whole the what if episode like what if Doctor Strange lost his heart and this one he's trying to find is like uh, empathy again in a way and I also to like simplify things to be honest I kind of enjoyed how Raimi like positioned Cumberbatch as like Wanda before she's going off the deep end. Like everything mm. going on with Wanda, Strange is like seeing that's foreshadowing for him if he continues down this path. So I also feel like the whole you know, the whole mentorship thing and like that relationship with America Chavez and everything that felt very Tony Stark, Peter Parker, mm-hmm. which like I kind of did hear like insiding stuff talking about that. So, I thought he kind of amazed me. I really did. I did like the first one, and like I really saw how broken he was in this, and um, he's finding his confidence and his swagger again. But I just love how the whole premise of the movie is that Doctor Strange is the greatest threat to the multiverse, which I kind of felt the multiverse was like not a MacGuffin. I kind of felt like it was a red herring in a way, hmm. because the story was very... It was talking about hubris a lot. And the second act really touches on hubris. And it's very satirical about what Raimi does with that second act, which is great in my opinion. So, yeah, I love Cumberbatch's performance. But Elizabeth Olsen stole the movie for me. So, yeah, just got to put that out there. She was absolutely incredible. I had to reframe this whole movie as a Wanda movie with a Doctor Strange label on it in order to get myself to feel better about the stuff I didn't like that I'll talk about later. Uh, Yeah, She's so good in I don't want to say they did her character dirty, but in maybe some of the questionable scripting choices surrounding her character, I thought the way she held herself and the, the character that she put into this performance was so good. One, it made it made me, uh, you know, a pretty pretty casual fan like her a lot more and pay attention to her a lot more. And you were talking about hubris. My main reading surrounded around her, and I I really took away stuff about like almost like poisonous imagination. I think mm-hmm. something that all of us can experience in life is that you have imagination, right? And you can imagine anything that you want, and sometimes you can get so lost in your fantasies and it's it's so close to seeming real that it's so destructive in your real life and i thought that was portrayed wonderfully 
Um, you know, some people are questioning the reason for that, but I, I thought Elizabeth Olsen was awesome. Benedict Cumberbatch was very good, and Rachel McAdams is good, despite the fact that I couldn't care less about about Stephen and Christine. I don't care. Do you guys? No, that was absolutely my take. Like, I'm just like, I don't know. I don't need this. Like, who cares? I don't care. I honestly thought she was just a plot device to just give him closure on, like, his uh, past life into being a sorcerer. That's literally, mm-hmm. like, how I wrote stuff. Yeah. Yeah. To, you, we're, but that's the second time using using a, you know, a yeah. character as a plot object rather than a character. Yeah. But one thing in stuff like Mike, you brought up, I loved, uh, was how WandaVision was uh, a social commentary on the five stages of grief, and it was really diving into, like, uh, being seduced by uh, false idols and stuff, and your uh, creation of, like, uh, to get away from, like, mm-hmm. the tangibility of everything going on when your mind is fracturing at the point. I love the costume design in this. Like, I was sitting there with my notebook in the theater, and, like, when you look at Wanda's costume and, like, how her fingers are, like, charred to the point where the dark hole's infecting her, where, like, they look like they're about to fall off, or, like, how there's cracks all over her costume, and it's, like, a darker, like, tint, darker maroon from what you saw at the end of WandaVision to this, and now there's, like, a big gaping hole over her heart showing how broken she really is inside and then some of the the script which was done by waldron but you could tell like Raimi put like a little twist on it Mm -hmm. i really enjoyed that and it was at the heart of it it was a doctor strange and wanda movie and it was the ideals of chaos and order but also hubris and um hubris and pain and also in a way i kind of felt and i don't know how people like tron legacy but I kind of felt Wanda in this way was how the pursuit of perfection, even though we want it, isn't in front of us. It's always unknowable. It was kind of like we clue himself saying to Flynn, he's like, did I create the perfect system? And he goes, no, because you're me. And he goes, that's the thing about being human is that perfection's always in front of us when we strive towards it, but there's something that we just can't achieve it. So I kind of felt like that with Wanda and stuff, like how powerful she's getting, she's going to the to try to you know the MacGuffin in the story but it also kind of took like a step back and like the whole second act like when we go in the spoilers Raimi really touched upon the fact that even though these fictional characters claim they're gods and they're heroes and they can do unimaginable things they're truly broken chess broken toy broken toys in like a chess box of like mm. uh emotion just stemming from like past experiences yeah and that's one of the things I really love absolutely and I you sparked another thought, which that was all wonderful. I agree with all of it. I guess I can see also how Wanda's story here is about kind of how our experience of the modern day. And it I don't. Very go paradise ahead. lost. It felt very paradise lost. It was paradise it lost. And it was also. Yeah. And I, I also. There was such a sense of envy, right? Which, mm-hmm. if I'm going to connect it to our everyday life, I'm not trying to be like a social media hater, but like. So often when you're online and you're seeing other people's lives all the time, it can make you envious of the one thing that you don't have, right? And you could extrapolate and say like the multiverse Wandas who are not our Wanda, you know, can be a stand-in for other people who are so like you, but you just can't seem to be as happy as they seem to be. And that just drives you nuts. And yeah, that, that was by far had the most gravity of anything 
in the movie for me. Do you guys think that the multiverse is getting too complicated? Has Phase 4 gone off the deep end? Absolutely. Mm. 100%. Yeah, I I mean, I I feel like they got to be very careful because they're going to write themselves into a whole Marvel as a whole. I mean, I, I, I hope that Kevin Feige has a plan for this, which I'm sure he probably does. Mm. But, um... I I feel like they could easily write themselves into a hole narratively and it's going to be kind of tricky. I mean, they're basically I understand what they're I can kind of see what they're trying to do. They're basically, you know, with the multiverse they can basically make anyone expendable and replaceable. Which cool. I mean, I understand you can't keep the same actors and the same characters forever, but at the same time, it it kind of lessens the weight of some of the arcs that we've seen so far. The good news is is that if they do back themselves into a hole, I'm not smart enough to catch it. Like, I watched Endgame <laughs> and all the time travel stuff. There has to be a hole in there somewhere, but oh, I was yeah, like, sure I like it. So <laughs> it doesn't Fair matter. They would, so one of the odd things about this movie that I found both like exciting and kind of grating is that this is really like a mashup of like five different movies. And in consequence with that, a combination of the multiverse complications and this being a total mashup of a movie, there is so much lore and explaining in this movie. It is unreal. I just felt like I was sitting there so often where it would be single cam, medium shot on somebody, and they would be like, therefore, from that day forth, Almond Joy had nuts and mounds don't. And that was supposed to have some consequence that I didn't understand. I am I the only one here? There was so much no, of that. I absolutely agree. I, I really liked when they stood around and just mentioned thirty different books and like, and this book's gonna counteract this book. Yeah. And we gotta go get this book. And <laughs> also, this was just so, Evil Dead. That's what Evil Dead <laughs> is. Absolutely. Would you have preferred it just be just be spelled out on screen through text, like in the French Dispatch? You know what they should have had was that it's like the old jerry seinfeld joke of like at the movies they need the movie going on and then underneath subtitles for people who don't understand that's what i needed for this movie just give me like the condensed version of what i actually need to know like my lord that i was sitting there through so much of that (laughs) another thing about this movie is again another thing i found both exciting and detrimental was that are anyone's powers defined at this point at all or can they just do anything at any time yeah that that definitely was a a thing of the magic was like ah it's whatever you know now now they can do whatever they can take notes off a page you know who cares it's it's whatever they want at this moment (laughs) yeah i like it wasn't in one part, it was exciting because it was like, whoa, I never know what anybody's going to do next. That's cool. But then it was like this whole movie, like imagine this movie without the effects. It's so many people just like waving their hands around in weird pattern. Can you imagine being there filming while he's just like, and nothing's happening? That must have been so odd. Imagine Cumberbatch like in front of his mirror before bed, practicing the formation of his digits so that he can cast the saw spell or whatever. 
Didn't we just talk about this with Eternals and Fastos' character? Yes, it's a we pattern. Tyree Henry just sitting there like, uh... Yeah, it's a pattern. <laughs> it definitely, like, I I mean, I get it, it's cool effects and stuff, but it's just like, it's just people shooting other color laser beams at each other at one point. And like, oh, a shield, another laser beam is coming. Like, it's just like, I just want to see someone throw a punch in these movies. <laughs> Which, I mean, you kind of did, though. Which we could touch. We, we did about. get one yeah. physical. Fight. Yeah, yeah, there was like some hand to hand. So I, I get what you're saying, though. I mean, the visual effects sometimes bothered me, but at the other other times, I was like, okay, these I I can actually screw with this. This is pretty cool. Yeah. And, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just want to know where power levels are in the MCU at this point. I don't know. Yeah. In tune with that, you guys want to get into some spoilers. Hell yeah. Let's go. Yeah. Alright, so spoiler warning for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness from this point forward. What's up everybody? It's Matt. I'm just checking in to remind you all to check out our giveaway that's going on right now through May 17th. All you have to do to enter is leave us a review on your favorite podcasting app, including Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, Podchaser, Spotify get a screenshot send it over to us on social media or through email and you'll be automatically entered to win one of three that's right three blu-ray discs of three movies that each of us submitted because we really enjoy them one is spider-man no way home one is cyrano and one is pig starring the one and only nicholas cage we're doing this to celebrate our passing of over 1,000 downloads and listens on our little show and we want to give back and thank you all for your continued support. Thanks for sticking with us. And without further ado, back to Doctor Strange. So, Sochi Gomez as America Chavez, I thought she did an admirable job for them not giving her the best role to play. My question is, and I pose this to you guys in the car. The first time you were ever scared was because you saw a bee at like eight years old? That's the first time you were frightened? Or was that just when her powers were activated? That's what I didn't understand. I, I took it to be she was frightened so much to the same level that like demons were chasing her, but also like demons chase her and she doesn't do it. So the bee was scarier than that. Like, is she allergic? Does she need the EpiPen? I don't get it. I mean, if, if I'm being honest, that was me as a kid when I saw a bee. No, I'm, it's not, I'm not questioning the are you scared of a bee. It's like, that was your first fright in life. No, no, I mean, I mean, I was like opening portals to other universes. Oh, 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 <laughs> that's true. Yes. But what I thought was funny about this is, like, this is Marvel. You could have made, like, Thanos land on this planet or something. That didn't, like, that would have been way more effective. You could have made Flat Stanley come underneath her door at night. <laughs> the new Marvel Big Bad. A new Marvel legend arrives. Yes. Oh, <laughs> In keeping with that, the, the universes. So when uh, Strange and Chavez are like flying through all the different dimensions and there's one where they're like drawings and there's one where they're like paint. I wanted to spend some time there and then we just yes. go blow past them. Yes. 
Rooney, which one yeah. would you have wanted them to spend a considerable amount of time in? I wanted them to spend a considerable amount of time in, like, the one that felt like the Savage Land with, like, the dinosaurs, how they were, like, flipping through, like, paper in a way. Hmm. And I also wanted them to, like, wear, they were, like, cartoons. Yeah. But I would love hmm. to see that. Yeah, because I, I guess I understand, like, why they landed where they did somewhere that's, like, somewhat close to the regular Earth, but it's just, like you know kind of quirky enough to be different we get pizza papa who is bruce campbell with like the pizza balls right that yeah. was funny until the yeah. end credit scene where i was like okay stop like, should we do this now <laughs> the end credit scene well i just want to mention this scene we just talked about Go real quick, ahead. just because i mentioned it earlier but uh, in 3D, that was a jarring scene because, like, I could not, my eyes could not focus on anything in that because everything was so out of depth. Like, my eyes couldn't pick up anything that was going on. Yeah, from it's it's so bizarre to see a movie surrounding multiverses spend so little time in the quirkier ones. Yeah, um, yeah, because I, I the mean, the ones we got were so boring. I mean, I feel like my our opinion might be a little biased since we already got in my opinion, the best multiverse movie possibly ever, or mm. already this year with everything everywhere all at once. Um, but if, like, if Rakakuni had showed up in this, that would have redeemed every <laughs> everything about this movie. Or, like, they had, the scene, they had a scene where they were rocks talking to each other through text, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. You, with multiverses, there's so much creativity that you can put in, but, like, I mean, yeah, there were some bizarre and creepy ones, but they just didn't really. I felt like they didn't really do a whole lot. Like, like um, I forget, was it you or Tyler or Mike? One of you said it earlier. About what? That like they didn't really use the multiverses as well. Oh, that's me. Oh, yeah. I. So the multiverse thing, especially in the very beginning. We get this scene where America and Steven are running from this monster. Um, I was I was very confused by this because with the dialogue and the performance, it like I don't mean to sound rude. Yeah, it was like such. It was like an after school special. <laughs> it was like I gotta let you go, but I thought you were my friend. Like I was like, this yeah. has to be a dream or something. And yeah. then it was, but also, yeah. like, was it? Was it a dream, or were they no, like, it's actually... it wasn't. It was leaking into his brow. <laughs> so... No, it was a dream. No, Remember, because yeah. the dream or the pathway into the other multiverses. Oh, my God. Yeah, but that was actually happening, wasn't it? Yeah. Like, that happened. Yeah, so, but he was but it, was in his, it was in his dream that he saw it. Oh, boy. I don't understand the demons in this movie. Like, she's possessing these demons, but then just later possesses herself. I didn't really understand the point of the demons. So that, yeah, that was another thing. So when they had, again, another one of these explanations where they talked about the demon who can... What is it called? Dream jumping? Uh, dream, dream? Dream walking. Dream walking, excuse me. When dream walking, was that meant to imply that, like our Wanda isn't really all that bad that she's being taken over by the demon, or is that what she's doing to other people? That's what she was doing to other people to be with the kids, right? Correct, yes. Okay. Yeah, that was that was confusing in the moment for me. Um, 
Yeah, it's uh, it was a little too complicated for me. But do you guys do you guys want to talk about the Illuminati? <sighs> I honestly dug the hell out of what Raimi did with this, and this has already been done. My NDA's already lifted. I knew about who the Illuminati was five months ago, but again, couldn't say anything. So there's that. Well, I, it sounds like you had some time to process it, so I'm glad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't know they were going to go that direction and just be like, Raimi's like, fuck you, I'm not putting cameos, and um, let's just screw people over. Like, oh, oh, you want a Professor X with a 90s wheelchair? Cool, we're just going to snap his neck. Oh, you want to have John Krasinski as Mr. Fantastic look great with that costume? We're just going to make him in the silly putty. I kind of enjoyed how Raimi set this up and stuff, how it felt like an episode of The Boys, like a, like a soft core episode of The Boys, of like how satirical mm-hmm. it was. Like where, because one thing I noticed and stuff, one of my friends I talked to on Twitter, he made a good point, is that when Strange dies from the Illuminati universe, he doesn't have the cloak of levitation, because the cloak is sentient. So it also makes you think, strange looking in the dark hold and so would be the cloak did they destroy the cloak also oh man i i have no idea to the sentient cloak yeah that's a good question i didn't even think about that yeah well again i'm a i go so critical with things now and just i dive into the littlest things like I also kind of enjoyed the exposition. There wasn't too much of it where it's like, oh, we need to set up 45 other things. And I also enjoyed the Illuminati, like how Wanda literally just destroyed them left and right. It was literally Raimi saying to the Marvel computer, like, oh, you want to do cameos? I'll show you some cameos. Yeah, I mean, so, you're right. We got uh, Haley Atwell, Ashana Lynch, and, um, you know, as various of our favorite heroes. But, Matt, why don't you take the floor here and give us your thoughts? I've been dying to. Um, you know, I appreciate... I appreciate the the more forgiving take because that that kind of soothes me a little bit because it makes sen- enough sense. But when I said there was a point in this movie that ended up souring the rest of it, this was the scene. To me, it it felt kind of manipulative because at this point, it ultimately meant the ca- the cameos were there, but they didn't really mean anything in the greater scheme of things at this point. That could change, who knows? Um, which I can forgive most of the other cameos, except for probably the Captain Carter one. And the most egregious of them all was the Professor X one. Because Logan already gave us the perfect send off mm-hmm. to the character and Patrick Stewart's performance in his tenure as that character. There was no effing reason to bring him back for this other than to basically manipulate fans into being like oh what's going on or what what, the x-men are in this or the x-men are in the mcu oh my god and i just it just felt very off put or like distasteful to me Mm. um at least it could have been mcavoy i would have been okay if it was mcavoy's okay yeah that's a good point professor x or something yeah. i like that idea. I, I wouldn't have felt so bad because mcavoy didn't get gracefully sent off in one of the best superhero films of all time yeah just to be brought back for a, an unceremonial send-off 
that said, like I said, if I reframe it as this is a cool scene where Wanda's a badass and like super powerful, then that makes it more palatable to me. But that's just my taste. So, uh, this whole scene for me was where I lost this movie, um, personally. I think they went way too Marvel in this. I, I did like that Sam Raimi kind of switched it, kind of tricked you out. That was good, but, like, the the whole, when he walks in and Captain Carter throws the shield at him, I'm like, what what is this? Come on. Like, it was literally just pure Marvel. I'm like, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Oh, I know that person. That's from another movie. Like, that whole scene felt, you just see Reed Richards appear out of nowhere. I'm like, come on. A little over the top, like, just to yeah. be like, oh, yeah, I don't like that. I hate that in Marvel, no. especially for being Mister Fantastic. He doesn't stretch. There's no stretching. He does sees this briefly. He gets spaghettified, which was okay. <laughs> he does stretch. It was like, <laughs> like that was the stretch. Um, yeah, I. So the beginning of the scene, I agree with you, Matt, about Professor X. This it felt exactly like heating up leftovers. Is that you're like, this is, I guess this is okay, but you're really just like fantasizing about the original meal, and you're like, I just want to watch Logan, or I want to watch the original X-Men movies again. And, however, I will say this, after all the cameo stuff and like the trial that I, again, I didn't understand, because I'm not that smart, but when Wanda shows up, and she's asking Reed, right? She's like, oh, do your children have a mother? And you think that she's going to be like, oh, well, then you wouldn't know the pain. She goes, good, there'll be someone to raise them. And I just sat up and I'm like, <laughs> oh, my Lord. All right, let's do it. And then she does it. And my Lord, we have Black Bolt. When his head like implodes, I was like, Oh my lord. I was not <laughs> yeah. expecting that at all. And at one point I'm like, okay, cool, but then I'm like, I don't it was like that needed in this film. And arguably worse was the the shield through the abdomen, especially oh. since they don't show <laughs> it. Bad. I was like, I, oh my god. Yeah. I hated the that. shot the shot of the shield hitting the wall and blood splattering off at those. That was a, a gnarly shot. I'm gonna uh, well, let me put it this way. I hated that it happened, but I didn't hate the execution. I thought it was gnarly, and I think like if it was to any other character, it might not have been as bad. No, it was very just, effective. Go ahead. I find it hilarious that we got like these three brutal deaths, and then Captain Marvel just has a statue falling. Mm. Like, it's like, oh, that's kind of anticlimactic. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, I'm not sure if that was... I mean, it was effective, but I, I still don't know if that was a good inclusion. I, see, I, th I thought it was effective, but also it's just like, ah, don't worry, that's another universe, they don't matter. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why I hate the multiverse stuff. Like, That's why I feel like... Not, it, does any of this have weight? Is it just going to be like, nah, that's, that, that, that happened in another universe, don't worry. So, is Wanda not alive anymore? Uh... That's the implication. Who knows? Well, didn't yeah. they also didn't they name the MCU universe as the comic universe in this? Uh, yes, they did. Six one six. Yes. So how does that work? I'm I'm, I'm not trying to crap on it. I'm I'm genuinely curious. That's just that universe's designation of it. Apparently, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't talk about Wanda, and I can't talk about that stuff. I'll just leave it at that. Fair enough. The world may never know. 
so if if Wanda is dead, which I don't, I'm. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm gonna assume that she's not dead forever. I think that would be. I would not like that. I think that would be a a bad ending for her character. And again, not that I don't want her character to be bad. In fact, I like that they made her villainous in this, but um, I don't know. Just just wouldn't seem justified. I have a really great theory that I pitched to a couple friends, and I was like, how dope would this be? The castle where she uh, crushed herself and stuff, that's in Genosha, following along. Magneto comes by one day, pulls the castle off and shit. She goes, who am I? Goes, You're my daughter. Like, hmm. how fucking cool would that be? That'd be pretty Is cool. That- I've been wondering about that, how they're going to handle that I with still, her being I, Magneto stuff. I still don't even know. <laughs> if that's even effect in the MCU, I think but that, I mean, I, now they can be. I think that would be cool. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. I, I'm i going to say I don't want... I, I don't know. I know what's going to happen. I don't really want Marvel X-Men. It could be cool. I just... I don't know. I, I just want it to be separate. You're going to get it, and you're going to get Fantastic Four. That I'm fine with. I don't have any particular affinity for the Fantastic Four. I mean, not that they're bad or anything. They're cool. I think they could be done well, but eh. they're gonna they're gonna bring Miles Teller back as Mr. Fantastic. I have to say, like, you know? I feel like I can't blame him him specifically for that. I mean, it wasn't a great performance, but like in the movie that he was in, I don't know if anyone really could have been successful. Like good for oh, Michael B. Jordan for coming yeah. back from that. Maybe uh maybe Ty Sheridan. Yeah. Uh, we need to well, name... give me Brendan Fraser as uh <laughs> the thing. <laughs> I you know what I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with that. Even though he's playing Firefly in DC right now. Oh yeah. Also, yeah, for back, check him out in The Whale, the new Aronofsky. Isn't he film. also in Doom Patrol? Yeah, he plays Robot see? Man on Doom Patrol. <laughs> so he's just going to be in every DC project. Probably. <laughs> DC continuity is just Swiss cheese at this yeah, point. That's, so. that's a mess. Yeah, we, we I, what's, what's against the wall right now? <laughs> Sounds good to me. <laughs> it's like the... It's like the manatees on that episode of South Park that picked the family guy. <laughs> yeah. How about this? We just got the meta Nick Cage movie. How about a meta movie where Brendan Fraser and Michael Chiklis are both auditioning, trying to play the thing, and they are battling each other in the real world they have a secret that both of them have the powers of the thing, but they can't let the public know. So they have epic thing-on-thing battles in, like, back lots and in their houses, in their basements, but just, like, nobody can know about it, and we get an inside view as the viewer, but they also have human-to-human fights in public. How about that? I I'd, I watched the hell out of Absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's go pitch it. Let's go pitch it now and get this shit made. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I want to see that right now. <laughs> Come on, that that's what I want. You're you're printing money right now. <laughs> yeah, I would only cause inflation. Get a twenty four on the phone. <laughs> How did you guys react when you saw Charlize Theron in the mid credits? I. I... I'll leave it to you guys. 
I like the cat. I like the casting. She looked great. Um, honestly, this is a hot take. Can we stop doing crunch scenes? Yes. I'm so over. Yes. Oh, we're one hundred percent. One hundred percent. I am so behind. That. Especially when they. <laughs> My eyes rolled so hard at this. They make us scene. wait till like, the oh, very end for hey, the movie's over, and we go, we knew that. We know that's that's what happens. <laughs> yes. I honestly also felt where she showed up. Like how the movie ended, where he's in the street, and the third eye appeared. Would have left her right there. Have been okay with that, if you put like, and then how choppy her dialogue and just how campy it felt. I didn't feel like Raimi directed that. I felt like somebody else did. Somebody else wrote that. Hmm. That didn't feel Raimi to me. It felt like very MCU shoved down my throat. I hmm. will say, if you're doing credit scenes, just put the trailer for like the next movie or next project coming out, like. People are like, oh, where's the Thor 4 trailer? And, like, you know, it showed up, like, about, like, two weeks ago. Put it at the end of a freaking movie. Like, I know you have to do marketing and stuff, but put it at the end of the next MCU film. I'm sorry. I'm done with credit scenes. Yeah, and that way you could at least, you know, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not that interested in the trailer or you're here, you can wait. You don't have to, you know, sit in there in the theater wondering. Yeah. I would have loved if the post credit scene was just the Avatar Shape of Water <laughs> trailer again. That would have been great. Yeah. I want to see the reactions to that. Like, these people waited through the entire credits. Yeah. And then you you would see the headlines immediately. Are are the, the people of Navi, right? Is that the fictional land? Yeah. Yeah, are yeah, the people yeah, Navi. of Navi joining the MCU? <laughs> Avatar will return. Yeah. Avatar will return. <laughs> Imagine if we had gotten that in 2009. You sit through three hours of Avatar, then at the end they go, Avatar will return in 2022 in 13 years. No, there it would have been 2012 at that point. Would it have been? Oh, yeah, that's true. Because they were like, 2012. Yeah, then... I do yeah. remember that. Hey, you know, who among us hasn't been to just 10 years off their, uh, their date? Their target date. All right, you guys have any more thoughts about Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness? No, but I'm going to post my uh, non-spoiler review soon. The embargo just lifted, so now I just have to publish the damn thing. Oh, beautiful. Excellent, so check that out. Well, if you, the listener, have any thoughts about Doctor Strange, about Phase 4, the MCU, whatever you want, please write to us at silverscreensaverspod at gmail.com. If you like the pod, please tell a fellow movie lover, tell a friend, rate and review on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ScreensaversPod, and our Facebook is Silver Screen Savers Podcast. Rooney, can you give us your socials again? Uh, Brent vs. Reviews at Twitter, Brent vs. Reviews on Instagram, and then literally it's just my name on Facebook. Nice. Matt? You can find me over at MattyXSturds, S-T-U-R-D-Z. That's on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd. Tyler? Find me on Instagram and Twitter at Tyler Sutkus and on Letterboxd at Tyler96. And I'm on Instagram and Twitter at Michael underscore Gallat and on Letterboxd at MGallat. Well, Rooney, thank you so much. You have made this so much better. And thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time. All right. Take care, everybody. See you guys. Stay down to bone. <laughs> Silver Screen Savers podcast was co-created, written, hosted, and produced by Michael Gallat. Tower Sukkis and Matt Sturdivant, with additional editing by Matt Sturdivant, 
Intro music by Charles Michel via Pixabay. Logo design by Nathan Seidel.